all your children love to sing your name, Father. And uh, isn't it great to be together and worship and sing praises to God? That can continue all through the week. And tonight, I encourage you to come back. We're going to be not meeting here. We're going to be meeting at the corner of Roslyn and actually Ritson and, and Winchester Road up at Kedron Hall. And uh, there's a time we'll have some picnic beforehand. If you don't want to get food ready, you can actually purchase food and help out Hope Stacy with her ministry with the refuge. And then we're going to hear Pastor Calvin and it's going to be worship. So I encourage you to come back tonight and that will be a great time. Well, today we are just honored to have uh, Dr. Kevin Rutledge and his wife Gerda are here with us. Um, Dr. Rutledge actually is one of Pastor Rick Baker's uh, longest and most dearest friends. And um, I know as Pastor Rick has talked to me about Kevin, how much Kevin has been a great spiritual influence in his life and just helped him throughout the years in his walk with Jesus. And so um, uh, Kevin and Gerda have three children, uh, three grandchildren, isn't that right? And uh, Kevin has been a faithful minister. He's pastored um, at uh, two churches, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Exeter and then West Park Baptist Church in London. And uh, He's a, he's a dear friend of Pastor Rick, so he's a dear friend of ours. Let's give him a warm welcome and come on up, Pastor. Pastor. Thank you, John. Thank you. It's great to be here with you, and uh, thank you, John, for those uh, warm words and for your, uh, for your uh, warm reception this morning. Uh, know John's folks quite well, too, and... Uh, We've been looking for a chance to get together with them, with all of our schedules going a little haywire, and, and also Dwayne, and uh, thank you for uh, the music, uh, for the worship team this morning as well. Great to be here with you all, and uh, my, my history with your pastor goes back to grade eight, when there was a new, uh, a new junior high school. And we were from different parts of the city, went to different grade sevens, but this new school came in for grade eight, and we both ended up in this class together. And uh, we discovered that we were both Christians, uh, but we were from the two different fellowship Baptist churches in Guelph. And, um, you know, so, so we actually collaborated on a project on creation and evolution together in grade eight. And that was the start of a friendship that went for many years. And, and Rick always thought that, uh, you know, like his church was better than my church. And, you know, all this. And so we had this little bit of kind of rivalry back and forth. But I want you to know that Rick took a wife from among the people of our church. <laughs> and so, so we could accept him a little better. Um, in, in, in the course of our life, uh, we ended up going to Europe together at the end of high school for a couple of months, and we made an inaugural uh, journey, a pilgrimage to the Holy Land together, and, and so over the years, with, with the busyness of pastoring, we don't get a chance to connect that much, so it's wonderful to be here with you all and uh, to share the Word of God with you. Uh, I got a call uh, once as a pastor that uh, a guy by the name of Al was in the hospital he had had an accident at work and uh, so I uh, I went to, to the hospital to see Al and he was pretty uh, pretty messed up and pretty broken up he had, and uh, you know I said to him Al like what happened he was an electrician 
and he was working in a commercial job in, in downtown London, and uh, he was working with 347 volts. Uh, and he, he, was, uh, he had checked everything, and he had uh, shut the power off, and he had tested it, and everything was fine. And he was working, and he, he said he was pulling this uh, wire through conduit, uh, this metal conduit, and uh, there was this other wire, and it had a marret on it, and the marret fell to the floor. And uh, as he was doing this, he grabbed this wire, and it was live. So he had 347 volts doing a circuit through his body, and he said, he said it, he couldn't let go. You know, it messes up with your whole electrical impulses, and and and, and you know how you. Well, you maybe don't know. I hope you don't know. And you can't let go. And he said it was just, it was painful. And, and he, he was, you know, internally he's panicking and he's thinking, I'm going to die hanging on this thing. And then, and then he thought, um, if somehow, somehow in his thought process, is if I could just knock myself off the ladder or something. And I think he tried to do that and blacked out and woke up in an ambulance and he had had uh, uh, broken his arm at the shoulder and crushed vertebrae and, and, and different things. And, and so here he was in hospital. And I said, oh, man, Al, I'm so sorry for that. He said, it was my fault. I said, what do you mean it was your fault? He said, I should have tested that wire. You know, it, we know to do that. He said, he said we're trained to do that. It, but, but, you know, when you've shut off the power and you've tested everything and here's just this other wire and... And, and who, would, who would even think that this, this rogue wire would be live with 347 volts? And, and th that very statement uh, helps us think through uh, this, uh, this, this proposition. It highlights for us this truth. Knowledge is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. You can know, you can have all the knowledge you need. But knowledge itself is not enough, if you're following along in the bulletin. Most industrial accidents occur not because people don't know or are not trained. They happen because people short-circuit the process and don't do what they know to do. They don't follow procedure. And, and because of that, um, they get into all kinds of problems. But that's like that in life, isn't it? You know, you know that smoking cigarettes is dangerous to your health. You know that, but you do it. You know that if you want to have a good marriage, you need to invest time and energy into it. But you may not do it. You know that in school, if you want to get good marks... You've got to study and apply yourself, but you may not do it. And so there, there's this truth that knowledge itself is not enough. Uh, we, we, um, we know, but we need to apply. See, well, the, see what, what's the problem then? It's, it says, why don't people do what they know to do? I, I, we pity the person and we feel bad for the person who just doesn't know. They get into something and they're just unaware. And, and that's, what, that's what church is about. That's what growing up is about. That's what wisdom is about, is learning and applying. 
and, and communicating to your children and, and as you grow, gaining this body of wisdom. And so we really feel, uh, we, we really feel a sympathy for a person who doesn't know and gets into trouble. But, but why do people not act upon the knowledge they know? Well, I think sometimes there's carelessness. Uh, um, some of us just get a little bit careless in what we do. Um, I, uh, I have a lawnmower. Uh, I had a lawnmower for 29 years. And uh, being an older style lawnmower, um, you know, I, and I had to get a new one. And if you, if you stop and let go of the bar, the thing shuts down, right? Which really irritates me because sometimes you have to do something. Maybe you've got to start the thing again. And, and, and my old lawnmower always didn't start that well. And sometimes if the grass was a little long, it would get kind of clogged in the chute. And, and so I would, sometimes I would, I would think like, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I should shut the machine down, but I may have trouble starting it again. And I'll just, you know, the stuff that's just out there, uh, I'll try and pick out. And, and, and Dwayne, in, in my, my mind, like I enjoy playing piano. I think, you know, this is really stupid because I could do something dumb and cut my fingers off or something. But why do we do Because we're careless. Because, you know what, it, it takes too much time to turn the thing down. And so we, so we play a little bit fast and loose with it. And so sometimes in, in that way there's carelessness. And sometimes it's just defiance. You know, we have a rebellious spirit in us, don't we? You, you, you have a little toddler, sweet, dear little toddler, and you say to that child, no, don't touch the plant. And the child looks at you and stares at you and does it. Why? And, and, and that rebellious spirit is in us that when we know that we should do something, something in us it, it just, just will defy that at times. And, and we will do what we shouldn't do. So we know that drinking and driving is wrong. And somebody will just say, I don't care, I'm going to do what I want, in, in wanton disregard and rebellion for what we know to be wrong and dangerous. So knowing in itself is inadequate. And what we're talking about here is it's really what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What we're talking about is, is what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a believer in Jesus is a person who needs to have knowledge and I hope you have knowledge and your, your knowledge base expands greatly. But a genuine Christian, a genuine follower of Jesus is one that will not only know the right things and the right truth, but it's somebody who will go beyond that and obey the truth and do the truth. See, Jesus called people not only to believe right, but to live that truth out, to live that belief out. Belief out. And so what we call people who don't know what they, don't act on what they believe to be true, is we call them hypocrites, right? A hypocrite, somebody who, who knows what's right, but they don't do what's right. And, and there is a great cry in, in, in society today for authenticity. There's a cry for people who, who want to know not only what, what is what is right, but that people actually live by the truth, that there's consistency between what they say they believe and what they do. Because we look at politicians who, who get elected on the basis of platforms that they don't fulfill. 
Uh, we, we look at uh, medical profession, professionals that we want to trust, but we find out that they're doing things behind the scenes that are wrong, and, and, they're, and they're prescribing drugs that they shouldn't do. And, and we see things where, where teachers live a, a double life, and what they're saying in the classroom is not what they do in their own life. And to our shame, religious leaders who in private do not live what they proclaim from the pulpit. And you know, Jesus had no patience for hypocrites. In fact, his most scathing attack was on religious leaders. These were the people that knew the most. They had all the answers, but they didn't practice what they preached. And so we hear that, that indictment of Jesus coming down. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees and hypocrites. Why? Because... God calls us, Jesus calls us in following him to not only believe the right things, but to live out and act on the right things, to obey. A true follower of Jesus Christ will obey God's word. A true follower of Jesus Christ will obey God's word. Matthew 28 some of the most famous verses in Scripture. You will know them. Uh, if you could put those up for us, please. Matthew 28, known as the Great Commission. And here's what, uh, here's what Jesus says. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, followers of Jesus, believers, Christians, if you will, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What is a disciple is a person who is learning what God, what Christ taught and obeying that. And so what we are called to do as believers in Jesus is to, to know God's word but also to obey God's word. And uh, so where I want, I want to direct our attention this morning to James chapter 1, if you would turn there. Now understand that Pastor Rick preaches for about an hour, and he said, look, don't preach shorter than an hour because you'll make me look bad. Some of you are getting nervous right now, right? <laughs> you know, you're not going to tell him the things that I said are you because I've got I got a lot of stuff on him over a lot of years and and uh, I could be bribed um, anyway looking at James chapter 1 and in James chapter 1 in verse 22 we read these words do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately and forget what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. There's the principle for script, from scripture. A true follower of Jesus will obey God's word. Don't listen, he says only but do it it's not good enough just to hear it it's not good enough just to know it you've got to act on it you've got to put it into practice in your life and the whole tenor of scripture is, is this that we are to follow God's word 
And if you're a follower of Jesus, God expects you not only to know his word, but to obey it. Um, in some areas of my life, I'm very passionate. In some areas that, um, that, that passion, I, I probably shouldn't be so passionate. I shave with a razor that has five blades. And, um, and sometimes I, uh, in my passion in shaving, I am just, I am hacking away and going, and then I go, oh! And, and I remember calling uh, Gerda once and I said, come here! And, and she came to the bathroom. I'm standing in the shower and there's, there's blood everywhere. And I found that you can do a much better job of cutting yourself with five blades than you can with one blade or two blades or three and, and as as they added blades i always had to have the razor that had more blades on it which is probably wasn't a good idea and so i mean i, I got dried off and i didn't want blood all over everything so we and i couldn't get the bleeding stopped i mean i could you anybody know what a stipic pencil is like this is like it was beyond that i don't think we were quite to to stitches but but uh i couldn't get it stopped and so fine you know i'm holding and and and, and finally, I said, well, we've got to put a bandage on. And, and Gerda said, well, the, the only bandages we have here are, are the, their um, Walt Disney bandages. And, <laughs> and so I had this bandage that was yellow, and it had a picture of Goofy on it. <laughs> and so I had, I had it on my chin, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I said, I need to get this bleeding stopped and take this off before I go out, okay, <laughs> right, because, and um, I went away and forgot what I saw in the mirror, and I went out, and I had to stop at a store, <laughs> and I, you know, I found this day that people were more friendly than they normally are, <laughs> they were smiling at me, <laughs> and not, you know, as I'm thinking, this is a good day, this is a wonderful world. And then, I, and then I went into the office. And they looked at me and they said, mm, cut yourself shaving again, eh? And I went, oh, nuts. I forgot that. And James said, like, this is what it's like. You look into the word of God. And you look into the mirror of the word of God. And it shows you some stuff that is not pretty. It shows you some stuff that, that's ugly. It shows you stuff that that needs to be changed and reformed. And if you go away having looked into that and forgotten and left it the same, you've missed the whole point. The God wants to transform our lives, and as we look in, we need to do something about what we see, not just to forget what we see and go on our way. It's interesting in this passage of Scripture how central the word of God is. In verse 18, he said he chose to give us new birth through the word of truth. He goes on in verse 21, and he says in the end of verse 21, humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save you. He goes on in 22 and says, don't just listen to the word, but, but obey it, do what it says. Don't forget what you've heard, do it. And that's the whole tenor of Scripture. And here's the point this, in your notes. Obedience produces the righteous life that pleases God. Obedience produces the righteous life that pleases God. 
he says, My dear brothers, in verse 19, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, so, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's angry does, anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. What God desires in you is a righteous life. He's trying to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. He's trying to make you into the image of Jesus so that your life will look like Jesus' life. That righteous life that, God, that pleases God comes about when we allow the word of God to do its work and to transform us and to obey it. And there, there are about five areas in this passage that kind of help us to see some application of this in our life. Now, you need to know that the whole Bible is about this. The whole Bible of what you do week by week by week, and you've got a, you've got a fine pastor and, 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 a, and a great pastoral staff, and you are fed well here. And, and week by week by week, what, what you are doing is having expounded to you what God's what God's word is and means in your life. Every week there's a, there's a call for you to, 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 to hear what God says and then to respond to that. And so in this passage there are about five different areas that I see that are just kind of a, a sampling. And you'll get week by week by week by week more where God will tell you and instruct you and then you can respond in obedience to that. And so I just want to look quickly before we a close down in the hour or so that we have left. Um, just kidding. Um, and the first area is the control of anger. See verse 19 and 20. Be quick to, to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So one area that he applies this to here is, is the whole area of anger. I'm going to tell you, as, uh, as a young person, I had a temper. And I suppose there's always that proclivity in you toward that kind of thing. Um, but the Spirit of God should take and moderate those things and, and, and bring our lives under control. But, but I had a temper as a kid. And I remember my dad had so angered me one day. Uh, you know, and I, you know, Dad, I hauled off and I booted the grill of his car. Now, what a stupid thing to do, because my dad was a really cool guy, and he just said, you can pay to get that fixed now, and it was costly. It was just a stupid, stupid thing. And, and, and what, what James is telling us, is, as, as followers of Jesus, the one of the areas that you need to conform in your life is, is not to be an angry person, not to be the kind of person that, that, that it just explodes in anger and, and, and loses their control of their, uh, their, their temper. And get ticked off. And, and we see this in different ways in your life. Because you can be an angry person. And, and Jesus even warns, it warns like, like anger is like, like the predecessor to, to murder. That hatred and that anger and that out, outburst and, and that settled anger that you have. And you may be holding grudges today and you're angry with someone. And, 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 and that kind of thing is, is so settled. And God is saying to you, look at you need to obey the word and you can't live the righteous life that I want you to live if you're an angry person. And so you need to conform in this area. You need to give up this anger. You need to allow God to change something in you. You know, some of you may be the kind of people that, 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 that and I trust not, where, where people have to tiptoe around you because you might just lose it. You might explode. I, I heard recently of a person who who, who's on a staff at a church and, and uh, 
one of the elders told me, like, we just have to be so careful with this guy because he just, he'll just lose it and blow up. You know, brothers and sisters, this is the kind of thing where God says, no, you need to bring this into conformity to God's will. And, 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 and to see God change you in that way. You may be a parent and like you just, and I know there are frustrations with that. And, and maybe, mom, you're just screaming at your kids. And I, re- I remember we went to, a, it was a Christian campground once and we were with, we were across from our site was this, this family and they were just like, they were just like the angry, screaming family. And it was going on all the time. And, and so when we, when we would have trouble, sometimes we would reference that family and say, let's not be like that family. But God wants you to address that area and to control your anger. I remember a person came to our church, and he'd come to an open house we'd had when we built a new building. And, and, and he actually, it was, it was just really weird, because he said, what do you have to do? He came to the open house. He said, what do you have to do to come to church? I thought, wow, what a question. Like, do you have to sign up to come to church? Do you, like, you know, that's how, that's how zoned out he was about what church was. And he actually came, and I remember it was done on a Thanksgiving Sunday. He came, and somebody said to me after the church, can you go and see this guy? Because he's crying in the bathroom. And they brought him out. We talked, and, and uh, he just had trouble with drugs and all kinds of stuff. And God did... God, he came to faith in Jesus. And I uh, made an appointment with him. He came back a week later and he said, I can't believe it. He said, I just find that, that, that I'm more patient in traffic. I used to be really angry at people and I, you know, shouting and honking at people. And he said, I just, in one week, I found that the Spirit of God is doing this. Now, the Spirit of God will help you in terms of, the, in terms of controlling anger. The second area he talks about is moral purity. Look at verse 21. Get, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Moral filth and evil is so prevalent, it's all around us, everywhere you look. And as followers of Jesus, we are to live lives that are morally pure and consistent. I remember um, a number of years ago, uh, I, I was coming out of my office before the service and, and uh, you know, preparing for the start of the service. And this guy was coming up by my office at the same time. And I had recognized him. He had gone to the same college I had gone to. And uh, he said to me, uh, you the preacher? I said, yes. He said, have you got something to preach? I said, yes. He said, preach it. And then he walked in and sat down, like right up at the front. As I started preaching, he's like amening, and he's just like, amen, amen. You know, he's like, he's with the program. Then I found out afterwards, he he was there, and and he had his wife and daughter with him. And I found out that it wasn't his wife, and it wasn't his daughter. And this was a Bible college graduate who had trained for ministry. And he had four beautiful little girls at home and his wife, and he left his wife, and he was living with this woman and her daughter and coming out to church asking me if I had something to preach and amening all the way through and and and, and you say like that's just so inconsistent like what, what kind of person is that you know what all of us have this propensity to, to know more and not practice what we do and and moral purity God is really serious about that and so so I don't know what you watch on tv i don't know where you go on the internet but god says look it i expect my children to be morally pure 
and upright. I don't know, young people, what your relationship is like with one another, what you do when you go out on dates, but God says, I expect moral purity. And I don't expect you just to know about it. I expect you to do it and to live it out in your life. You know, it's so neat when I, I had a couple that had been coming to church and they were living together and they came to faith in Christ. I said, you know what? You need to understand that your living relationship, uh, your living relationship is not right before God. That this does not honor God and he can't bless you and he wants to bless you. You know the response was? We will live apart then until we can get married. Okay, that's, that's obeying the word of God and God calls us to obey him in that. There's another area, if we skip down to verse 26. It's appropriate speech. Appropriate speech. If anyone considers himself to be religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. You know, in the Proverbs, Solomon says this. The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue is the kind of thing that can build people up and elevate them. And the tongue is the kind of thing that can destroy people. And, and uh, James has a lot to say. He gets into chapter 3. has a lot more to say about the tongue. And, and, and the tongue is like, if you can control the tongue, you can control the whole body. If you put a, he says, a little bit in a, in, a, in a huge horse's mouth, you can control the horse or a rudder on a, on a ship or, or something like that. And, and it, what, what is so beautiful is when you see people who reach out to others and use their tongue to build them up and to encourage them, and then some people use their tongue to destroy and to hurt. And, and I, was just, I was just watching this, uh, this uh, little movie with my, with my granddaughter the other day, and, and uh, this, this guy in the movie was just really, was really down on himself and down on life, and and so all these little kids, he's talking to them. He's telling them, you'll never make it. Nobody makes it. Nobody will be anyone. He's demoralizing them. And people do some terrible things with their tongues in terms of gossiping. And, and this is, a, I want to share a prayer concern with you. It's not a prayer concern. It's a gossip thing. It's a way to hurt people. It's a way to turn them, uh, turn them down. And, and if you're going to live as a follower of Jesus Christ, he says, you need to get your tongue in order and use it in a proper way. Uh, fourthly, he says, uh, another expression of, of obeying God's word is to care for needy people. Look at verse 27. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress. Religion that accepts God, religion that is genuine, faith that is real and true and biblical is to care for orphans and widows. It's to care for people who are marginalized, people who can't care for themselves. And this was often a marker in the Old Testament where, where they would look at people and they would say, look, at, uh, you know, we can, we can really judge the nation by how they take care of widows and orphans because those are, uh, those are, are people in, in very distressing uh, situations, marginalized, people who can't care for themselves, people who economically are, are, are just in a terrible place. And so, so the, the spiritual temperature of the nation can be taken by how you care for those people. 
and, and uh, they didn't have social programs like we have to take care of them. And God says, you know, I care. I'm a father to the fatherless. I care for those people. And a follower of Jesus Christ is somebody who cares for other people who are in need. You remember Jesus was asked about the great commandment. What is the greatest commandment? Love God with all of your being. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember the question that came, well, who's my neighbor then? Your neighbor is anybody within proximity to you that has needs and you can meet those needs. And so one way we demonstrate our faith is not just about talking about love and caring. It's about doing something. It's about reaching out and, and hearing, John, some of what you guys are doing in, in this, this marathon. And just I was so impressed that you could even walk after this quarter marathon and all the rest of that. But that's putting into practice something. And I know that you as a church are doing those kinds of things. And I want to ask you a question, is God nurturing, you in, nurturing in you a heart of compassion? And when you see hurting people, do you respond or do you turn your head and go the other way? See, God wants us to express our faith in that domain. And fifthly, and this is kind of a, a wrap-up from, from everything. He says at the very end of verse 27, um, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Do you know, we, we are bombarded with messages and influences that, are, that seek to turn us from God. Uh, we, we just have this, this continual barrage of, of, of things that, that, that say your lifestyle and where you're going and how you live is just not, you know, it, it's just contrary to everything that God wants from us. And he says what we need to do is to keep ourselves distinct from the world, from being polluted by the world. In Romans 12, too, it's, it says this, don't let the world squeeze you, in, in essence, squeeze you into its mold to, to, to make you what it wants you to be, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we live in this environment that really militates against what God wants in our life. When I was a, a teenager, we moved to a farm. Uh, I loved the farm. I had, a, I had a horse. And before we moved to the farm, I actually bought two pigs. I didn't keep them in the city. I kept them out in the country. We moved to this farm that, that had uh, horses, and it had a horse track, and it had, it had pigs. And so we kept pigs. We had about 20 sows, and we'd take the babies and raise them up and sell them. And so it was kind of new for us. This was like Green Acres. Any of you remember Green Acres? Our farm was like Green Acres. My dad was like uh, Eddie Arnold. And um, my dad would sometimes, we would have, uh, we would have a sow pigging or you're going to have her babies. And my dad would think, well, I, we had a business, okay, a music business. In fact, Rick worked in the music business for a while with us. I don't know if you know that, John. And so my dad thought, well, I got to go home and check this sow at noon hour or something like that. And, and he would go and he would go into the barn. Now, if you're city folks, you don't understand the smell of pigs. You don't understand how it permeates your pores and your hair and everything. So my dad would think he could go in and check us out and do something and then go back. And, and he thought, well, if I put some cologne on, no one will know. Have you ever smelled pig and cologne together? <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's awful. I said, Dad, what are you doing? You stink, man. You can't do that. You have to go have a shower or something. And, and like we live in this environment that that, that, that stuff can stick to us. That, 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 that philosophy and those 
images and those things that push us to be anything that but, uh, what God wants us to be. And, and, and what God wants us to do is not take on the smell of the world, not to take on uh, the, the, the environment that is around us, but to stand against us. And that's what obeying uh, Jesus Christ is all about. And this is just a little smattering of what obedience looks like. As I said, you're, getting, you're learning to obey week by week by week by week. But I want you to know this in, in your notes there. Obedience is a test of your faith. Obedience is a test of your faith. Because followers in Jesus will obey Jesus. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. The faith that is the right faith is faith that obeys. It's not faith that's just intellectual. And you need to demonstrate your faith by obeying. In 1 John 2, 3, it says this. We know that we have come to know him, i.e. we're true believers, we're true followers of Christ, if we obey his commandments. You see, if you claim to be a Christian, but you don't obey God, you really have no basis for assurance of your faith. Because true believers not only know, but they put it into practice. And they do. They act upon it. And in, in fact, he says that if you don't that, do that, you really deceive yourself. Uh, look at in verse 22. Get rid of all moral filth uh, and evil that's so prevalent. Uh, excuse me, verse 22, I'm sorry. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. See, if you're only a listener, James is telling us, you're living in self-deception. Look at down also in verse 26. If anyone considers himself to be religious, yet doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. You say, well, what kind of deceit is going on? What kind of self-deceit? I think three areas of self-deceit can... can be a part of what we have there first a person can think they're a christian when they're really not a christian you know it's a scary thing for me as a pastor this is really a frightening thing that i could have somebody who sits under my ministry and comes out to church week after week after week after week and they hear years of messages and they could stand before god and god would say to them i don't know you you're not one of mine and, and that's a very sobering thought as, uh, for those of us who are called to be shepherds over God's people. Uh, be, because there could be a sense of deceit that people think that they are believers when they're really not. I, I had a guy in my first church uh, whose family, because of his family came to church, but he didn't. But he read the Bible and he knew the Bible and he loved to debate the Bible. And if I was with him, he'd get onto some theological bone and wanted, but he didn't obey he didn't submit to it and james says look you've got to be really careful because you can come to church and you can think you're a believer but it hasn't taken root and you can know lots of stuff and still not be a follower of jesus but i think there's another kind of self-deception that can go on and that is secondly that that we can think we can get away with it and we can play with god my friends, that is just a dangerous, dangerous game to play. If you are a child of God and you are willfully disobeying him and say, I don't care what God says. I know he says this, but I'm going in this direction. That's not a good game to play. I'm, there's a song I love 
and it says the safest place in the whole wide world is in the will of God. And there's some people that defy the will of God and think they can get away with it. You know, in, in, in Hebrews 12, we're told, look it. If you're a true child of God, God will discipline you. He'll give you a spanking. He'll call you up short. He will do something in your life if you are a true child to bring you back. Don't play with God in that way. Allow, allow his word to penetrate your heart. I think there's a third way that we're deceived. And I think there's this deception that goes on that we really challenge the end of verse 25. Because the end of verse 25 says, if you do what you're supposed to do, if you do what God says, you will be blessed in what you do. And I think some of us call into question God's goodness and his, the, the, the veracity of his word, the truthfulness of his word, and we think, you know what, I don't believe that God's goodness will accrue to me. I, I, you know, I, I think I can get an advantage somewhere else. And so you may be in business and you may be doing what everybody else is doing in business and it's not right and you know it's not right, but you think to play the game and to get ahead, you need to do those kind of things. And, and I want to warn you from the Lord, you are deceived if you think the blessing of God will rest on you if you do that. You may be a person who wants to get married and the right person is not coming along and you're thinking, I just don't know whether I can trust God with this. And I'm getting older and I want to have kids and, and all the rest of that. And so I, I just gonna, I'm going to compromise on what God wants. And God wa you know, I know God wants me to have a Christian spouse so that we can have a Christian family and live for God together. But I, I just don't know whether God will do that. And so I'm going to do my own thing. Don't do it. Obey the word of God. The place of blessing is in the word of God. Listen, what's, what's the takeaway? What's your response from this? First, get the word of God into you. You are in a wonderful church. You have multiple opportunities to receive the word of God, to know it week by week by week, to be taught, to be in life groups, to be in, in, in classes, uh, to be in the worship service here, and, and, uh, and in Sunday school classes. And, and, and come and, and drink it in and learn. And ask God, what do you want me to do with this? Secondly, you need to trust God. You need to trust the truthfulness of God's word. Some of you, as I said, you may be here. You know deep down inside that you are really not a follower of Jesus. But the people around you don't know. They, they just assume because you're here and you're here all the time that you're a follower, you're a true follower of Jesus, but you know deep down you have not really taken that step of obedience to trust Jesus Christ and to say, I believe and I put my faith into action and, and, I, and I reach out and, and, and Jesus said, look, it come, come. And you have not yet come. I want to encourage you, you know, if God is touching your heart to come this day, open your heart this day talk to talk to me afterwards if you want or pastor to john or one of the one of the pastoral staff here and, and begin that journey of following jesus oh thirdly i think there's a sense in which some of us look at our lives and we know we've blown it and i'll tell you the enemy wants to so discourage us and say you know you are nothing but a failure look at you blew it and you blew it you've blown it repeatedly and, and there's no way back for you god 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 isn't interested in you god doesn't God's not happy with you, and why, why even come back? I want to tell you, repent. 
God is so gracious. He is so willing to forgive, repent, and turn back to him and allow him to start, uh, you know, a, a, a fresh start with you in your life. And, and I just want to encourage you in that way. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and get a new start. And maybe God is putting his finger in an area of your life this morning. As we were talking, you're saying, you know what, I know, I know I'm not obedient in that. I know I haven't been doing this. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you have not taken the step of baptism yet. And that's, that's I mean, it's clear. It's obedience. That's, if you're going to be a follower of me, get baptized and learn to obey everything I've commanded. And maybe you need to make a decision today. I've been holding out on, on God in this, in this important area. I'm going to take that step and be baptized this day. Uh, dear friends, I, I want to encourage you that the greatest life is in following Jesus Christ the way he calls us to. To obey. Not, not just to talk it, not just to know it, but to do something because the me measure of your faith and, and, and I, I, forgot, I forgot a little uh, quote there. I'm sorry, guys, in um, uh, Jeremiah. But uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer just, uh, just had an, an excellent uh, say. He said, only he who believes is obedient. And he who believes, and he who is obedient believes. You can't cut it any other way. If you're a true Christian, if you're a true believer, you will obey father thank you for this opportunity to join with my brothers and sisters here and to share in this wonderful service and the fellowship that we have thank you for all that you have done for us and lord as you share the importance with us this morning about what it means to be a follower of jesus and that is not just to know but to do Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts to the, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us today. Father, I pray for that person who may be struggling with some area of sin and they know there's disobedience there. And, and Lord, they're just struggling. I just pray that you'd give them the grace to repent and turn from that sin and find the joy of being reunited with you. Father, with some people that are just, just struggling with believing that following you and blessing that Lord you would just cause them to realize that no cost in, a, in following you or obeying you will mean anything less than the greatest joy and fulfillment we could have in life may you cause all of us to be able to trust your word and the truthfulness of that word even when we don't know where we're going and how we're going to make it ahead Father, I pray for that person who needs to take the step of baptism, that they will say, I will obey and I will declare myself as a child of God and follower of Jesus in the waters of baptism. And Father, perhaps some people who are here and have never said yes to you, they know about you, but they've never opened their heart and said, I will turn and follow Jesus. May this be the greatest day in their life when they say yes to you, not just to know about you, but enter into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. So Father, would you just bless your people as they respond in obedience to what you call them to do in the name of Jesus, amen.